Today's reading is Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Thanks, Jonathan. 
And good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church Only. It's really great to be here with you on a very wintry day. I'd love to catch up with you over a cup of coffee after our service, especially if we haven't met before. Please come and introduce yourself. That'd be a really great thing to do, for my part at least. Now, as far as miracles go, the one that we've just read, the one that Jonathan just read for us, it's, it's got to be right up there, doesn't it? If you've ever been to Sunday school or to a kind of kids' church program, no doubt you will have heard this story being read to you. It has a it has a song that goes along with it. Um, we learned today it's got a rap that goes with it. But it, before that, it had a song that goes with it as well. Many of you will know that song. I thought about singing it to you, and then I remember that I'm not Jack Page, so I'm not going to do that this morning. But what I do want you to do this morning is to marvel at this story of a lame man who walked, and only that, who got up and was leaping and praising God. It's a really well-known story, a terrific miracle, and it's so powerful, I think, that we might kind of read this story and, and be tempted to kind of read it in isolation, to see this is the big event in the passage, and to kind of forget about what comes next. Um, an illustration of that might be, you know, when the kids talk is really amazing, really powerful, all the bling and that kind of stuff, that might be what you take home from the day and you kind of miss what comes next. Well, today I hope you can stick with me as we look not just at the miracle of the lame man walking, but as we also look at Peter's sermon that follows on from that, his word. I think that's important because I think that's what Luke, our author, wants us to do. Let me ask you a question. What do you think, Luke, who wrote this passage, what do you think he wanted us to walk away with having read this chapter? Does he want us to know that Peter and John were able to heal a lame man? Is that what he wants us to know? Does he want us to focus on the miracle of healing? Maybe he's instead trying to show us the power of the Holy Spirit. Is, is that what's at work in this passage? I wonder what you think is the big idea in this chapter. Now, if the big idea is just about healing, making a lame man walk, why at the start of chapter 4, which we haven't read yet, but why at the start of chapter 4 does Peter and John, why do they find themselves in jail? Why do they find themselves locked up? That's what the religious leaders do following this event. Now, okay, we know the religious leaders as kind of the bad guys of the Bible, don't we? They don't have the best of names, but even... Religious leaders, it seems a strange thing for them to do to, to lock up a couple of guys for just healing someone. So what then is this, what this passage about? What's it saying? Well, here's what I think is going on. I think this passage is not so much about what Peter and John do, as amazing as that miracle is. I think this passage is more about what they say. It's what they say that sends them to jail. It's what they say that leads to thousands of people putting their hope and trust in Jesus at the start of chapter 4. It's what they say. That's what's important. So what is it then that they say? Well, the main thing that Peter says, the end of his sermon, is that in Jesus is the resurrection of the dead. The dead will be raised. Or in Jesus, God will restore all things. That in and through Jesus, times of refreshment have been promised. 
See, this is not just the story of a lame man being healed. Sure, it's got that in it. But rather, this is a promise that in Jesus, not only will one lame man leap like a deer, but indeed the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the mute tongue will shout for joy. This is a story that reminds us and shows us that Jesus is the resurrection and the life for all who trust in him. And as amazing as this miracle is then, really I think it just functions as a, as a road sign that describes what's happening. So let me just show you, I've got a road sign over here. And if you're driving along and you see this road sign, for example, you all know what it means. It means that somewhere ahead there's likely to be rocks on the road. If you saw that sign then as you drove forward, you might be watching out for either unstable cliffs or rocks on the road you might even expect to see a pile of rocks as you drove along now this miracle that we've just read about i think it functions in the same sort of way it's a foretaste of the healing and the renewal and the refreshment the correcting if you like or the writing or the the making of all things new that's promised when jesus returns that's what I think is going on here. Now, this miracle might function as a signpost, describing what's about to happen, but it's still a pretty incredible miracle, isn't it? So let's spend a few moments just taking a look at it. If you've got your Bibles there, please open to Acts chapter 3. And we learn from verses 1 to 3 that two of Jesus' best friends are on their way to the 3 p.m. temple prayers. You might know from the Bible that Jesus had 12 disciples and of those 12, three of them were kind of like his best buddies, Peter, James and John. And today it's Peter and John who are making their way to the temple. And on the way they meet a man who had been lame from birth. Let me read to you from verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This is a wonder here. Here is a man who's never walked a day in all of his life, and now he's completely healed. Immediately, he knows how to use these legs. Now, 2,000 years later, with all the very best of the modern medicine that we have in our world today, I don't think this can be done today. And there's no need for follow-up physiotherapy in this passage. There's, there's no post-operative braces or no special exercises that are given to this man. Instead, he just jumps up to his feet and he starts walking and jumping and praising God. And rightly, the people are filled with wonder and amazement. But here's the thing, our author Luke, he doesn't just end his story here. This is not the end of what happens. He records for us what comes on after that. And that's the words of Peter. Now you've probably heard the saying in life that actions speak louder than words. That actions speak louder than words. I reckon that's true most of the time. But it's not always true, is it? Sometimes words are so powerful and so profound that they have a lasting impact. 
Let me give you an example. Think, think back to the moon landing. Some of you might be old enough to remember the moon landing. It happened back in 1969, so some of us might just have seen the pictures on the TV or read about it. I reckon it's almost a miracle that people got to the moon in 1969. Why? Well, firstly, it's 380,000 kilometres away. And the year before, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. He was testing one of the devices that was supposed to help take him down to the moon. And as he was testing it, something went wrong, it malfunctioned, and he had to eject. He got out, and he was really unhurt. But afterwards, they did some analysis, and they found out that had he pushed the eject button just half a second later, he would almost certainly have died. It was risky, the stuff they had back then. And back in 1969, they didn't have the internet, They didn't have mobile phones. They did have a computer on this spacecraft that helped them land on the moon. The computer was given a name. It was called the Lunar Module Guidance Computer. And it helped them, and it was a computer, but only just, in a sense. Today, um, computers are much more advanced. In fact, today, well, I read recently, if you uh, grabbed an iPhone 6, like quite old technology by today's standard, But an iPhone 6 processes information 120 million million times faster than the computer they used to land the spaceship on the moon. And when you know all of that, no internet, no mobile phones, computers that were incredibly slow, it makes it even more amazing, doesn't it, that they got there. And yet despite it being an amazing feat to get there, I think that the moon landing has almost been overshadowed by the words that Neil Armstrong spoke. You know them, don't you? We've all heard them before. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Now, I want you to see from our passage today, from Acts chapter 3, that we have a wonder, a miracle, and then a word, a sermon. And just as Armstrong's words kind of overshadow the complexity of going to the moon, so I think Peter's sermon should dominate our understanding of what's happening in this passage. Now, of course, in both cases, we need the wonder first. Had Neil Armstrong stood up in his lounge room and maybe even climbed up high on a chair in his lounge room and said his words, nobody would have heard him, nobody would have cared. But the words are still important, and particularly in Peter's case, The words are profound. I want to start by reading, have a look at what Peter says by reading with you from verse 12. This is what Peter says. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? He's speaking about the miracle. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? In verse 12, Peter starts by deflecting any praise or or any glory away from himself and, and deflects it onto the person of Jesus. Remember our saying when we were last in the book of Acts, those who are filled with the Spirit have Jesus on their lips. See, here we see Peter deflecting any glory that might have been put onto himself and pushing it onto Jesus. He wants the glory to be on Jesus. And he does it in five ways in verses 12 to 16, five ways in which Peter kind of pushes the glory off himself and onto Jesus. And I just want to summarize those with you very quickly. Five ways in which he exalts Jesus. The first way he does that is in verse 13. In verse 13, Peter says that Jesus is long promised. 
been promised for a long time. He does that by reminding us as the readers that Jesus is the servant of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That means he's long promised. The second way he exalts Jesus is also there in verse 13. It tells us that Jesus has been glorified by the Father. The third way he exalts Jesus is there in verse 14. He says Jesus is the holy and righteous one, the one who has never done any wrong, the one who is sin-free and right with God. In verse 15, we see the fourth way. He tells us that Jesus is the author of life. And also in verse 15, we see that God raised Jesus from the dead. Five ways in which Peter puts glory back onto Jesus. Five ways in which he exalts Jesus. He's long promised, he's glorified, he's holy and righteous, he's the author of life, and he's the one who God raised. And what's Peter doing? Well, he's simply just pushing the glory onto Jesus, isn't he? The people have flocked to Solomon's colonnade. They're amazed, they're in awe of what they've seen. I reckon it would have been so easy for Peter at this point just to sort of basked in the glory for just a few moments maybe just maybe he just wanted to take just a little bit of the credit for what has happened i mean after all peter's been through following jesus being a disciple of his surely peter would have thought at some point i deserve just a little bit of this and yet he has none of that the glory and the wonder doesn't belong to him he pushes it all onto jesus he exalts jesus five times in these verses I wonder how that sits with you this morning. Pride works its way into all of our lives, doesn't it, in different ways. When things are going well in your life, who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? As your Bible study group grows and flourishes, do you give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back and just sort of say, well done? I may be looking at myself a bit here, but as our church grows, the temptation at least is to think, we must be doing the right things as a church. How great is that? We must have the right staff team, or the right people, the right musicians. But Peter knows who's in control, doesn't he? He shines the spotlight on Jesus. It's Jesus who deserves the glory. I wonder how that fits in your life. If things are going well at the moment, if the, the bills are getting paid and you're making good steps through your career... Yeah, if that's you at the moment, who are you giving the glory to? It's easy sometimes to think that maybe it's because we have such a magnetic personality or, or because we're so good at our due diligence and our planning and our strategies or maybe we just think we're just so clever. But is that really how the world works? Peter here is deflecting the praise away from himself onto Jesus and he exalts Jesus in five ways here. In these verses, he also shows Israel of their culpability in putting Jesus to death. He does this in four ways. And he's doing this because he wants to give the listeners one instruction. I think it's a good instruction for us today. That one instruction is to repent. So four ways in which he shows their culpability. Let me show you those four ways very quickly. In verse 13, Peter says that those who are listening to him, well, they were responsible for handing Jesus over to be killed. In verse 13, he shows them that they were also the ones who disowned Jesus before Pilate. In verse 14, he shows them that, that a murderer at their call was exchanged for Jesus. And in verse 15, Peter tells them that they killed the author of life. 
five exaltations of Jesus and four reasons why the listeners of Peter's sermon are culpable of putting Jesus to death. And then in verse 17, Peter, kind of, it almost feels like he takes a step back from his accusations and from his, his, his um, desire to exalt Jesus. And he says, you acted in ignorance. I wonder if you think ignorance gets you off the hook in life. Now, I think sometimes ignorance probably does get us off the hook. You know, maybe, you, maybe you're kind of just going slightly over the speed limit in the 40 zone. You know, there's lots of 40 zones around here. If you got pulled over for doing that, maybe you'd get away by saying, oh, I just realized I just wasn't on a 50 zone. Maybe that'd work. Maybe you'd find a sympathetic police officer. Maybe. But what about if you say to the officer, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I wasn't allowed to drink drive. Like, that's just not going to work, is it? Ignorance isn't an excuse. In this case... In Acts chapter 3, Peter says that the ignorance of Israel allowed God to carry out his long-term plan, a plan that was foretold through the prophets that ended in the death of Jesus and the atonement for sins. So just let me recap where we've been so far. We've seen this morning a miracle, a lame man who's healed, who's restored And then we've seen Peter preaching in a way that deflects the glory off himself. It's nothing to do with Peter, this miracle. It's all to do with Jesus. And then we get to verse 19 and we see the instruction in this passage. The what now from here instruction. And it's this, repent. Let me read it to you from verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is the the one instruction in this passage. Repent. Turn to God. I really like the way that Peter puts it here. It's got this aspect, doesn't he? Turn as though you're turning your face towards God. Repent and turn to God. Now, those who are listening to this passage or this sermon as it's being read by Peter, you know, in one sense, they have good reason to need to repent here. They were the ones who, who Peter's just shown them in four different ways are guilty of killing the author of life. And today, we're 2,000 years after this event, give or take. We're on the other side of the world from where these events happened. And, and you may not feel particularly culpable for the death of Jesus. You weren't there to disown Jesus before Pilate. We weren't physically there. Now, the story of the Bible is that each of us are culpable. Our own sinfulness has destroyed the relationship that we should have with God. As a church, we've just spent three weeks looking at the book of Hosea. Do you remember what Hosea sets up so well for us, that God desires a, a relationship with his people? How can God be in relationship, a holy God be in relationship with sinful people? And so God sent his son to die in our place. We are culpable today. We might not be calling for the death of Jesus. We might not be asking for Pilate to release Barabbas, the murderer. But we do all need to return to God. It's the one instruction that flows out of Peter's sermon. Repent, turn to God. You know, each week here at Trinity Church Only, we say the words of the confession together. Some of you might wonder, why do we do it every week? Maybe it's getting a little stale saying those same words week after week. This is why we say it. Because we recognize that we need to repent, 
to turn to God, to fall on the mercy of a God who forgives. And once you see from this passage that the result of doing that is that our sins are wiped out. I think this is what Peter wants us to know. I think this is the purpose of, of Acts in a way, that the message of the good news of Jesus, that our sins can be wiped out in him, well, that's why that's going to the ends of the earth. Repent, turn to him, that times of refreshing might come. I love the idea of the refreshment in this passage. You know, we're in the middle of winter. It doesn't get much more wintry than this. And we've had a couple of crazy years. Do you feel like you need refreshment at the moment? That's not all that Peter has to say here. Um, In fact, he's about to get to the pile of rocks, I think, that the signpost, the miracle signified was coming. He's about to tell us about the restoration, not just of the lame man, but the restoration of all things. So let me keep reading in our passage. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. I think here Peter's talking about the return of Jesus and the restoration that will come with that. And I think this is the pile of rocks that the signpost was pointing to. This is what the miracle was all about. Luke wants us to know that it is through Jesus that we should expect not just to see the legs of one lame man restored, but in the age to come, we should expect that everything, everything would be renewed and restored. In the age to come, we should expect justice to be meted out and all things made new. You know, Peter speaks in this passage about, about the promise of the holy prophets, that they knew this was coming. Well, come with me to Isaiah 35. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah 35. Because Isaiah paints a picture of, I think, what Peter is talking about. I'm going to read midway through from verse 4. Well, it says, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer. See that in our passage, don't we? And the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Peter's saying, I think, that Jesus is the God who has come. Jesus of Nazareth, the man that that you put to death, he's the God with us that Isaiah foretold. And he's the one who will restore If you need evidence of that, we'll look at the signpost. A lame man leaping like a deer. Not through Peter and John's work. Peter's been very clear about that. Not by their power or by their godliness. No, it's by the name of Jesus and the faith that comes through him that this man is healed. Jesus is the one who does this. And will do it. But of course, you know, this future healing, it it hasn't come to pass yet. Jesus hasn't returned a second time. And in a way, we're still looking at the signpost. But we can trust in that. 
Trust in the miracle of the lame man and the word that Peter spoke afterwards. What does the miracle say? It says that Jesus will put all things right. Not that he'll heal just one man, but that he'll restore and remake each and every one of us who trust in his name. Now, because of the birthday song, you will know that I recently turned 40. That's the joy of the birthday song. That's why we love it here as a church. It's a great gift, isn't it? Being 40 means I can't really pretend anymore to be a young man. But I don't have to pretend very hard anyway because each day my elbow hurts and my ankles creak and I know that I'm probably going to go bald. That's a terrible thing, Chris. That's right. (laughs) But it does mean that I'm getting more and more excited about physical restoration that this signpost points to. But you know what I reckon is even more exciting in a way? is the spiritual restoration that's already on view in this passage. So one of the great promises of Christianity is that today, today, through trust and hope in Jesus, our sins can be wiped clean. What does Peter say? Repent. Of course, in our world, the consequences of our sin are still there. But we can have our sins wiped clean. Today we've seen the story of a lame man healed. I think it's an amazing miracle. But it's more than just a miracle I hope you see today. It's a signpost pointing to what's going to come. It's an example of how Jesus will work in each one of us. Today you might be in perfect health. You might be in the prime of your life. If that's you, that's wonderful. But the truth is that that won't last, that you'll get sick soon and then you'll die after that. The great hope of Christianity is that those who have turned to Jesus, we have resurrection life to look forward to. And that bothers the religious leaders. Because if that's the promise, if that's what following Jesus means, then surely you will turn your whole life towards him. That you'll follow him regardless of the cost. That you'll forsake all else. That you'll see him as a king who reigns. And it'll mean you'll praise God. We're going to sing together in a minute, praising God. But before we do that, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the example of restoration that we see in a lame man walking and for the great promise that this passage holds out to us that one day we too will be fully restored. We thank you that in this present age and right now, our sins can be wiped clean through faith in Jesus. We ask that you would help us to repent and turn to you where we need to, trusting in the power of Jesus. Amen.